Hello, and welcome to This Speech Life, a weekly audio course and podcast from SpeechTherapyPD.com, exploring all things related to school-based SLP practice. I'm your host, Caitlin Lopez, MSCCC SLP, a pediatric SLP with 10 years experience in the school setting. Each week, we will cover three need-to-know aspects of that episode topic, two resources related to the topic, and one actionable strategy for tomorrow. to today's podcast episode. I am Caitlin Lopez, your podcast host for This Speech Life, and I am so excited to have the fabulous Kristen Barba here with us today to talk about all things cycles approach. But before we begin and before I introduce her, I am going to report our financial and non-financial disclosures. I'm Caitlin Lopez. I receive compensation for being the podcast host for this episode. I have no non-financial disclosures to report. Kristen receives an honorarium for being a podcast guest on this episode, and she's also a creator on Teachers Pay Teachers. Her store is called Speech and Joy, and she has no non-financial disclosures to report. All right, now we can jump in. I am just so pleased to introduce to all of you Kristen. I've known her for several years, actually, since before she was an SLP. And so it's really awesome that we get to spend some time and talk to each other about SLP things. So Kristen became an SLP because it seemed like the perfect way to mix her desire to work with kids and her love for language together. She's worked in both private practice settings and in elementary schools. She currently works as a school-based SLP with preschool and elementary school students. While she absolutely loves her career, she feels so strongly about not letting the life of a school-based SLP burn her out and commits to finding and creating therapy materials that can be used over multiple sessions with easy prep and with all of her groups. She enjoys literacy-based therapy and language therapy with younger kids, but above all, she enjoys treating phonological disorders. You can find her materials and tips over on Teachers Pay Teachers Speech and Joy, and she also has an Instagram Speech and Joy, and she's on TikTok, and so I'm, I'm just excited, if you don't know her already, that you have a chance to get to know her and what, what an amazing person she is, and I'm just so grateful that she is in this field alongside all of us. So Kristen, thanks for being here. Thanks, Katie. All right. So we are going to talk about all things cycles approach. If you follow Kristen on Instagram, you know that this is something that she's really passionate about sharing and she's my cycles approach guru. Anytime I have a mixed goals kid, I'm always texting her you know, how do I do this? What do I do next? (laughs) So for everyone else, I get to share my cycles approach guru with you. So Kristen, what are three things that we need to know about the cycles approach? Okay. I think first and foremost, it's awesome. I love the cycles approach because I am such a concrete person and I really like plan. And so much of our field is so gray and so black and white. And you kind of dive in and you hope what you're doing is helpful. And then you find out that it's not. And this is so detailed and it tells you exactly what to do and the results. So it's great. So what the cycles approach is, 
It's a detailed therapy method, and it's created by Barbara Hudson, and it's for students who have a phonological disorder. So this is not the articulation disorder kid. This is a phonological disorder. It's something that you're going to want to use for the kids who have a moderate to severe phonological disorder. Your student or your child that you're working with is going to be young. It's for preschool to early elementary school out there. Maybe they have really limited consonants that they're using. They're using B and D for everything. And it's really great for the student who shuts down easily. So the student who they are not going to work on, you know, that F sound until they're hitting their head against the wall. They need to feel success right away. This is going to do that. So that's what the cycles approach is. And that's who it's for. Those young kids with a moderate to severe phonological disorder who need to feel a lot of success. Thank you. Yeah. So I guess that's number one, what it is. The next thing would be, what is a cycle? Because it's a cycles approach, but what does a cycle even mean? So what it is, and I want to make sure I'm getting this like as simple as possible because I can get so wordy sometimes. So let me try to simplify it. What a cycle is, is you are going to work with your kid and you are going to get a list of all of their phonological processes that they do. So let's get an example of this student A. This student A has final consonant deletion, consonant cluster reduction. They are stopping and they are gliding. So you are going to work on those four processes. You don't need to work on anything else, obviously, because they don't need it. So you'll write a list pretty much of all the things that they need to work on. Okay, so first final consonant deletion. Then what you're going to do is you're going to probe them to see what they're stimulable for. So what Phonemes in that pattern are they stimulable for? So let's say we're working with final consonant deletion. You're going to give them all the tips and tricks that you know. So let's say we're doing final S. You're going to say, okay, this ends with that peak sound. Can we say bus? Oh, they can do it. Perfect. They're stimulable for it. Okay, let's work on that final T sound. Cat, dot, it. Ooh, they can do it. I have to give them a lot of prompts. That's fine. They can do it. We're going to work on that. Let's try that final K sound. Look, book. They're not getting it. No matter what you do, they're not getting it. That's fine. We're going to throw it out for now. We're not working on final K for now. And then we're going to try final N, moon, bun. They can do it. Perfect. So in final consonant deletion, I know I'm going to do final S, final T, and final N. Okay. So for each phoneme, you're going to work on only one at a time for 60 minutes. You can split that up however you need to because I know that I work in a school and I work in groups and I work with kids with teeny tiny attention spans. And I don't have that perfect one-on-one 60 minutes a week session like this was me for. It doesn't matter. 60 minutes. Okay. So they come in and you're going to work on final S for 60 minutes, whether it's three sessions, two sessions, however it is only final S. Then when you're done with that, you're going to work on final T. It doesn't matter what their accuracy was, even if they only got it 40% or you want them to get it high, 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 high. You want them to have really, really accurate results. I should say that. But it doesn't matter if it's not carried over into sentences yet. It'll happen. Then you'll work on that final T, 60 minutes. And then you work on final N for 60 minutes. When you're done, you move right on to the next logical process. So let's say in our example, it was stopping. Okay, can they do initial F? Can they do initial S? Then you'll work on those until you hit all the phonological processes and all the phonemes that they were stimulable for. So it can take a while. It typically will take... 10 to 15 weeks. What you want to do is for each pattern, 
you're going to choose about two to six phonemes that they can do successfully. And then once you get to the end of your cycle, you've worked on all of the processes, you've worked on all of the phonemes in those processes, you're going to do an informal probe. See if they can do words that you haven't practiced or maybe a language sample to see if they have these words yet. If they do, if they're getting them in conversation or they're getting them without even practicing, then you don't have to work on it in the next cycle. Say when you're doing play, they're saying sun and moon and in. Great, they have final constant deletion for that end sound. Kick it out, don't work on it anymore. Then you can also probe along the way to see if they're getting the sounds that they weren't at first. You know, maybe at first they weren't getting that final K, but after probing them again and again, now they can get it. Perfect. Now in the next cycle, you're going to add it in. We'll do final K or we'll do fronting or backing. And that's what a cycle is. So you work on all of them, all the phonies within them till the bottom. Once you're at the bottom, once you worked on all of them, you go back to this, the top and you work on them again until they come along in a conversation. So that's what a cycle is. What <laughs> Did that make sense? I know it's so lengthy. Yes, it did actually. And it I have been doing the cycles approach wrong. <laughs> oh yeah. So thank you for breaking that down because I didn't realize that you, like for example, you know, the final consonant that you work on only one phoneme for that 60 minutes. I was under the impression that I am working on that phonological process for 60 minutes. So the way you broke that down made a lot of sense to me and I clearly needed it to be broken down. (laughs) I'm really glad that made sense. So what you're doing, you know, mixing of the phonemes, you can do that later on. Say that maybe you're on cycle three and they can handle it now. They can handle final consonant deletions of N and T and S all at once. But when you're first starting out with them for cycle one and cycle two, you probably should do just the one at a time because you really want them to hear it, absorb it and learn it and then move on to the next. And what's going to happen is they'll start generalizing it. They'll start realizing there's final consonants on a lot of words, and then you can add in more. But when you're starting off, just stick to one at a time, which is something that makes it so easy for us. Because really, for each phoneme, you're only going to pick four or five words. And that might sound crazy because you have these decks with 20 words each, and you want to do cat, it, but, fat, everything, but you don't. Choose four to five words that are really meaningful to the child. So kid-friendly words, words in their life, if you can, is always going to be great. And that's it. So that's why it's so good for that child that shuts down easily because you're only doing a few words. You're going to do them a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot, as much as you can, but it's only a few words. And then they get success with just such a little bit. It's like little seeds. I love that. Thank you. So that's number two. Two. And you have three for us. Yes. Okay. So Now that's what the cycle is. So that's like the big picture. We know who we're using it for. We're using it for a preschool, young child, severe phonological disorder. They're talking a lot, but you don't know what they're saying. We know what we're working on. We know what phonological processes we're working on. And we have probed them to see what sounds we're working on. This is what you're going to do in a session. So number three is what does an actual session look like? And this is one reason I love this approach because it literally tells you exactly what to do. And that's the kind of person I am. Just tell me what to do and I'll do it. And if I see results, that's exciting. So the first thing you're going to do is you are going to review the words from your last session. So say last session, we were working on those final ends. You're going to do moon, sun, bun, and fun. That's the four words we were working on. You want to make sure your kid has them. Perfect. Now we're going to learn a new sound. This time we're going to do that final T sound. 
Okay, so I tell them what we're going to do. I give them a little kid-friendly term for it. You know, if we're doing like the snake sound for final S, you say, you're going to listen for the snake sound right now. Listen for it. Or the T sound. You're going to listen for that TikTok sound. Okay, listen for it. And I let them know what it is. And then you're going to do auditory bombardment for one to two minutes. If you can do amplified auditory bombardment. So the ideal world is you have it recorded on a computer and you put on headphones and they listen to it. I don't live in the ideal world and I think a lot of us don't, but on Amazon, I got like a $20 microphone and I put it on and I look like Britney Spears and it has a little speaker pack and that's what I use and that's fine. But the reason that you want it to be amplified is because a lot of our students here all the time. <laughs> they're already hearing, but they're not listening in for those fine-tuned details. It's kind of like if you're a musician, you can hear the bass and the guitar. You know all of that. But for someone like me, it's just music. I don't, I'm not attuned to it. So you want them to be attuned to it. So that helps amplify and lets them know what they're listening for. You told them what they're listening for, and then they're going to listen to it. So it's a list of words, and you're going to just read it one to two minutes. And they need to be kid-friendly words. Don't pull these crazy words out that the kid never uses. Use words that they hear that they understand. And what is going to happen, I guarantee you, is the child's going to try to repeat it because that's what they're used to doing in speech. You say sun, moon, and they say sun, moon, and they're saying it wrong. And you say, no, don't worry about it. Right now, just Miss B's working. Or, that's what I say. Just Miss B's doing all the work right now. All you have to do is listen it's a really good time to let them, you know, play Play-Doh or color pictures that have the words. If you have a coloring page with the sun and moon on it, that's great. But they're just listening. You're doing all the work right now. And you literally just read off the list. Usually like 10, 15 words. I'm like, oh, are you hearing that sound? Are you hearing that snake sound at the end? And they go, yeah, even if they aren't, they're hearing it, even if they haven't realized it yet. And then it reminds them to listen again. So you do that for one to two minutes. And then you're going to move on to practice. So again, you don't need a lot of words for the cycles approach. You're going to get three words, maybe five words, meaningful words, kid-friendly words, words that they can do. And you practice that as much as you can. So you practice it through play. You practice it through flashcards. You practice it with a hundred trials chart, whatever you want to do. But you practice it as much as you can. I try to aim for... 50 to 100 trials. It sounds like a lot, but it's not, especially if they're really successful. And this is a type of thing that they are successful in. But the thing is, they have to be perfect trials. So you cannot let it slide when they're saying moon instead of moon. They can't say ton for sun. They have to say it right. So you need to do whatever it is to do that you're going to do to get them to say it correctly. If you need to use visuals, if you need to use tactile cues, whatever it is, they have to say it correctly because that's creating that link from them saying it and the motor movement to the linguistic part of the brain that's saying, oh, that's a match. I understand that now. So, you know, maybe the first session might be difficult, but then it gets easier and easier, but they have to be correct trials. That's really important. Once you've got, <laughs> that's just part of the session. Once you've got their trials done, 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 then you want to try to incorporate some sort of metaphonological activity. So you have to remember that our students with the phonological disorder, this is linguistic based. So language is usually kind of difficult for them. Reading is difficult for them. So we're going to help them with that. So some sort of 
rhyming game or segmenting game. You know, it would be great. I keep going to Final Constellation because it's in my brain. But if we said a word like, let's say moon and take out the last mm sound, what do we have? Moo. Let's take, you know, things like that. So they're segmenting and they're learning those linguistic rules behind it because it is a disorder. You're going to do that for just a few minutes. After you've done the metaphotological activity, one more round of auditory bombardment. You're doing all the work. I'm going to read the list one more time, okay? All you have to do is play with your Play-Doh. Put your sticker on your hand. I'm going to do all the work right now. You know, listen to that snake sound again. Did you hear it? Perfect. Then the final thing you're going to do is probe. So next week, I know I want to work on that final K sound. Do you have it yet? I'm going to use all the tricks that I have. We're going to put our tongue back. We're going to say, can you do it? Let me hear you. If they can do it, great. You work on it next week. If not, no problem. Let's try working on, you know, cluster reduction. Can you do that ST sound and see if they're able to do it for the next week? So that way, when the next week comes, you know, they're going to be successful. They know they're going to be successful. And it's also another way to just keep trying along the way to see if that final K comes, for example. You want to, in this perfect ideal world, in home, home practice. In this perfect ideal world, parents are right alongside you. And if they practice it, you know, every day or a few times a week, progress happens faster. I know it doesn't always happen, but I do like to send practice home with auditory environment. Those three easy words that we're working on, it's more attainable for a parent to be like, I could practice three words a day, not so bad, than, you know, the list of 20 words that you have to do 10 times each. So it's attainable. If you can get parents on board, it's minimal work for everybody. So you can send home that home practice. That's what you do. That's your whole session. Next session, you start all over again, practicing the words you just did, and then going on. Awesome. So you take the 30 minutes to do all of those activities. Mm -hmm. So if it's a 30 minute session, which is what I have, I aim for like 50 trials less. If you have them for that wonderful 60 minute session, or if you work one-on-one with the kid, a hundred trials is easy to get. Or if your kid's going to sit and focus and, and listen, of course, but if you're working with preschoolers, Getting them to say a word a hundred times is difficult. So do what you got to do, but this is all happening. Ideally, it's all happening in one 60 minute session, one-on-one with the child. I don't work in that ideal situation, so but it does still happen. Yeah. And it helps to have some sort of visual. And once the kid knows what to expect, they know what they're going to do every week. Today, we're listening, we're practicing, we're going to listen again, and then we're going to go on our way. So they kind of know what to expect. So it becomes more easy for them to sit and listen and then practice and then they get to play. Awesome. Thank you for that. And then, you know, more questions about how this looks in the real world. So, you know, let's say that you have a a preschooler with a pretty severe phonological disorder, and then they might have language goals as well. Would you do the cycles approach one week, a language goal the next week, cycles approach and just kind of take turns that way? Or how do you how do you work it out? Well, there's different ways and it's gonna depend on the kid. If you are one of those rock star SLPs who's also amazing at play-based therapy, you're gonna use your three to five words in play-based therapy and or you'll use it for your language lessons. You know, you'll use it when you're reading your story and you'll make sure to incorporate it. And then you can work on the language goals and those phonology goals at the same time. 
Another thing that I do is I just work on it kind of half and half. You know, I'll make my session really short. We're just doing auditory bombardment. We're just practicing 30 trials, auditory bombardment again. And then the language goals targeting that separately, half and half. And then I just work on it for more sessions instead of two 30-minute sessions, maybe three sessions or four sessions. But however you want to do it, just make sure you're hitting those 60 minutes. It's working out for me that I can, you know, pull out Play-Doh or pull out the game or pull out what I know the kid likes. And then we just still do trials and practice. And then you can always give that language input, you know, expanding their utterances, teaching them new words. It works, but that's going to be up to you and how comfortable you feel juggling all of those different goals at the same time. Did you know that SpeechTherapyPD.com has weekly live and interactive webinars? We are the fastest growing CE provider. Subscribe today to get access to over 750 different courses in audio or video format. Because I, you know, in a perfect world, we would have kids that would work on one thing only, right? And it would be so easy to just target their one goal area. But that's not the world we work in. And especially when I was in the school system, it was like, there were times where I would have you know, an articulation or phonology kid and a language kid and a, you know, a different type of language goal, you know, all in the same group. What works in that case is just know phonology is linguistic based. So if you have a kid who doesn't have phonology goals, this is all going to help them anyway. You know, doing the rhyming activities is going to help them. And then they're all learning it. It's going to help them reading and writing anyway. So if I have that language kid with no phonology goals, I'm like, that's okay. You're just going to learn this with us. And you can help us here if they get it correctly. And then we all do the same language activity. So it works. You just have to be very flexible, like everything in our community. Thank you. Thank you for explaining how it works and how you've how you've been able to be flexible with it. And I think that's something that I like hearing as you're talking about it is yet. Yes, there is this set detailed therapy that needs to happen, but there is a lot of wiggle room within it. Yeah, definitely. And you just have to be willing if you work in a private practice and you have that kid with only a phonological disorder, things are obviously going to go faster. But it can still work. I work in a school and it still works, even though I work in groups, even though I don't always have the parent buy-in, it still has success. So that's one reason that I just sing the praises of this approach because it works. And I love that. I love to see success in my sessions. Absolutely. Because I mean, I, I know when I was in the schools and you'd have 30 minutes once a week, some kids, you know, the districts that I've been in. They, some kids might get 60 minutes, but it was sometimes discouraging to not see success with students. And there's only so much we can do with our limited schedules and our tight schedules and our high caseloads. And so uh, this is a really exciting approach. Mm -hmm. So thank you for sharing it with us. So what two resources do you have for us either to use in therapy or to learn a little bit more? Okay, so the first resource that I have, it's going to be on Teachers Pay Teachers. So this is by Playing Speech. It's the person who created this. She is amazing. I learned so much from her. She's just really good at speech disorders. So it's called the Cycles Approach Complete Toolkit. And I actually have this. And what it is, it's a lot of cards. It is the probe that you need for the end. And it just 
gives you everything that you need. So when you're working with a kid, you can just choose three of those cards and use it in your playing. And you know that you have everything already set up. And what she does, it's kind of like she created like a little textbook for you. She tells you exactly how to choose what processes she, you should work on. She tells you what a session should look like. She tells you everything. It's beautiful. It's, I don't know, maybe like 25 under 30 bucks, completely worth every single penny. And then you're set. You're set. It's so so good. So I will just sing the praises of Suzanne at Plain Speech. She, she has an amazing product. That's amazing that it's under 30 bucks. Mm-hmm. It's so worth it. And she really sets it up for someone who doesn't know anything about it. For the new person who's never seen this before, she really lays it all out for you, gives you description, gives you that home practice, everything that you need. It's beautiful. Awesome. Thank you for that. Mm-hmm. The next one is something that I created and it's going to be free because what I found when I was trying to do the cycles approach at first is I would kind of wing it. Be like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. They need to work on final N and they need to work on XT and SP, but this kid needs fronting. And you know, I'm not that kind of person. I'm not organized enough in my brain. I need to write it down. So I created a cycles approach planner and session visual. You can find it on Teachers Pay Teachers. If you look at my store, Speech and Joy, it's something that can help you get started today. You can print it out right now. And I have a visual for you to like, okay, because this is what we're doing this session. And so they already know it's expected. And then it's kind of a planner. So you can write down this student. These are the processes. These are the sounds we're working on. And then you can keep yourself accountable if you hit the minutes or not yet before moving on to that next sound. So that way you can actually see the progress that you're trying to make. Awesome. Thank you. And that you shared that one's free? That one's free. Yeah. That one I have on Teachers Pay Teachers right now. You can print it out and it's free. Awesome. Thank you. All right. So we have our three things that we need to know about the cycles approach. We have our two resources. What is one thing that we can do tomorrow? So I would get organized. Like I said, it's, it sounds so great in theory, like, oh, totally. I'll work on what they need and I'll work on the sounds, but you actually need to know (laughs) this is what they can do. This is what I need to work on. So when you have your kids do all of the processes, you know, are they getting final constant deletion? Are they stopping? Are they doing cluster reduction? Write it down. You can use the planner that I put on Teachers Pay Teachers. Write it down. Write down every phoneme that they're stimulable for right now so you have a plan already what to work on. Once that's done, honestly, the hardest part is done because you likely already have the cards or the objects or an idea of what words you want to use. Again, you only need three to five kid-friendly words. If you can't think of those, go to that Cycles Toolkit by Plain Speech. She has them all for you. But that's the hardest part is just getting it organized. And it only takes a few minutes once you just sit down. I've done it in groups. Even. I'm like, all right, we're in a group today and we're just doing testing day. So I'm working with this kid. You guys are doing this. I need you to be quiet. We go through it, you know, in five, 10 minutes, it's done. And then I have my plan set. So that's something that I start my year doing to make sure I'm ready for the year. And then the hardest part is done. You don't have to plan anymore because you already know next week what you're going to work on. And it's going to be the same as the week before, just with the material. Awesome. Thank you for that. And I would say that I would agree with the getting organized. You know, I think that's the, the hardest part. I currently, the clinic that I'm working in, we have, well, I have one kid. I say we because I'm sharing a child. They will forever be students to me. 
after being in the school for 10 years. So they, so I have one child that is on my caseload that I share with another therapist and his authorization for insurance is only 30 minutes, but twice a week. And so the other clinician and I tried to work on the same Well, we were doing it wrong, (laughs) but we were working on the same phonological process. But now I'm like, okay, I'm going to be seeing him tomorrow. I want to, I know which phonological processes he needs to work on, but maybe I'll just take tomorrow to see, okay, what are you stimulable for within those processes? And I am for sure calling her as soon as we're done with recording this podcast and letting her know like, hey, I just downloaded this planner. I'm going to email it to you. You know, this is what we're going to use. So thank you for that. Because I know like literally tomorrow I'm going to be using your work in my group. So. And then if you're working on final T and then she works on final T, then it's done next week. You work on the next one and you'll make a lot of progress, but giving the kid the option to just focus on one thing. You know, I know that I'm like that. If you're telling me 10 things at what, I don't know who wouldn't be like that. If you're telling me 10 things at once, I'm overwhelmed. I'm frustrated and I'm not successful. But if you tell me like, let's do just this, something I already know you can do. We're going to do this and you're going to be successful every single time. Cool. Then I'll do it. And then once the kids start seeing that they're successful, then they want to work more. You know, nobody wants to do something that they're not good at. So if you guys are both working on the same thing and the same three words or the same five words, the kid's going to take off. It's the student, the child is going to take off and it'll be really exciting. Yeah, I think it will be. And we, I am very grateful. Mom does come to session. And I think it, like you said, you know, it's a lot easier for mom to practice four words. And especially for mom to see the success, because I know that that's something that we really need is buy-in is like, is this worth it? You know, if my kid's been in speech for six years and they're still in speech or all the things. Right. And so I think that it'll be really exciting for mom too to see that success. So I have a lot more questions for you about cycles approach. We'll start at the beginning. What are your favorite assessments? Do you mean standardized assessment? Anything. Okay. So in schools, yeah, when it comes to phonological processes. Yeah. Yeah. So in schools, we have to give a standardized assessment. Generally, this is such a broad term. In schools, you probably are going to give a standardized assessment. So something like the CAP, or if you have the Goldman Fristo, there's the phonology portion of it. And then you can see what processes they have. Something that I didn't mention is that you're going to target processes that they have over 40% of the time. So if it's coming along, let's say, for example, they're getting stopping, you know, sometimes they're stopping the T, but they're also doing that S sometimes, or I'm sorry, sometimes they're stopping the S with the T, but they're also getting the S sometimes, you might not need to work on it. Only if it's occurring more than 40% in conversation. So I also just like a language sample. I'm someone who really likes a language sample. I write down exactly what I hear and I go from there. Um, that's something that's easy and it's pretty, you don't need anything from it. Or you can just, if you want to put your own kind of work into it, find three to five words from each, 10 words from each. I believe Speaking Musings has a cycles approach on Teachers Pay Teachers as well, as well. And that one has the assessment that you could use. But let's say, for example, you got that playing speech one that I told you about earlier. You can just get the words that she has, see if the kid is getting them without any probing, anything from you, and then go from there. Okay, happening more than 40% of the time, I'm going to work on it. 
there's something that I didn't mention that is super important. So I said, this is great for kids because you're only working on something that they're stimulable for. So if they're not stimulable for fronting yet, you're not working on fronting yet. The only exception is gliding. So for gliding, that L and that R, if it's happening for this one, it's more than 60% of the time. This is the exception one happening more than 60% of the time. You're going to work on it no matter what. So if they're not getting that R yet, that's okay. You're still going to work on it and you're just going to try to suppress gliding. So you're just going to try to, you know, get that W out of there. If they're saying the R sound, that's the only one that you're going to work on no matter what. And I think that we all kind of can get it because it's the hardest. And if you're waiting, the harder it's going to be. If you can stop it in a preschooler, it's going to be so much easier than trying to stop it in that third grader who's still doing it because they have the years and years and years of doing it incorrectly. I love that. Thank you. Thank you for bringing up the gliding because I know that that is one that we all kind of push off and like, oh, well, you know, the old milestone said seven or eight. So really it's only delayed if it's nine, but then the new data that's coming out is saying five and six years old. And I agree with you, you know, the, that motor planning and that, that motor memory of years and years of wrong production is going to be a lot harder to change. So if they're gliding even as early as preschool, and I say this with like caution, this doesn't mean that if a preschooler is saying incorrectly, you should qualify them for therapy and that's it. This is for a child who is already highly unintelligible. They have the phonological processes and gliding is one of them. Just work on it. Already work on it. Already try to get rid of it because it's going to be easier for the child later on to get the hang of it. So that's the only one that you're going to work on, even if they're not stimulable yet. The other ones you're waiting till they're stimulable for, but that one you're going to do every cycle. Awesome. Thank you for that. And I also love that you said language sample. I might have an unpopular opinion. I'm not sure. I think we need to do away with standardized assessments in our field. I don't love them, especially I know that you also work in an area like me where we have a lot of Spanish speaking students as their first language and there's so much bias in it. And I just feel kind of icky about giving them to a lot of students. Um, So I am big on examples. Yeah, exactly. And not even, I mean, so Chris and I actually are from the same area. And something that I noticed too is not even my Hispanic students with the Spanish background, but it impacts our language and our dialect in this area that even my non-Hispanic students, you know, they might not have a TH sound or... (laughs) you know so I but when it comes to articulation and when it comes to language too you know it's not normed on the kids in the area that we work in so so I yeah I don't like I don't like them and I another this is a soapbox of mine and then I'll get off but it just really drives me crazy when people take the scores off of the standardized test and use that for writing goals when that's not the way that they were written or what is supposed to happen So I always tell families, this doesn't really give us a lot of information other than your kid needs help, but we already knew that. So (laughs) definitely, I would say the only exception for that, like with the goal, especially when you're doing language, I completely agree. You're going to be having your own goals and seeing what's going on. But the good thing about the cap, oh no. 
Yes, it's the cap. So, yeah, is that it does tell you when it happens more than 40% of the time. And that's an easy one for you, especially if you're a newer clinician and kind of like nervous about which ones to target. That's an easy one to say, cool, they need cluster reduction. I'll write a goal for cluster reduction. So that would be my only like, except for that will work. Other than that, I agree. I don't, I'm not a huge fan yeah. of assessments. And I was, that was more for language assessments than it was for articulation. You know, if you're giving the Goldman for a stow and they cannot say, you know, boy, well, yeah, you should probably work on that. Yeah, it makes <laughs> it simple. And then it's easy. But for everything else, I agree. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. So you talk about assessment with us and you really did such a good job of laying out what a therapy session looks like. What are some of your favorite therapy materials? You talked a little bit, I mean, in my bio that I did for you, you talk about literacy-based therapy. And then during our podcast episode, you talked about play-based. Can you maybe give us some ideas of things to do with either one of those or both of those? (laughs) Sure. So that would take a little bit more legwork for you just because you need to think about what you're going to do beforehand. So let's say you know what three words, if you want to make it very simple on yourself, just choose the three words that you're going to practice a lot. And what can you do like when you're playing with them? So let's say you're playing house and I'm pulling things out. You're playing house and you're working on final constant deletion for S. Okay. For S. All right. So let's drive the bus to the house. Oh, house worked out perfect. It has an S. Let's drive the bus to the house. Let's go get some ice. Oh, let's pull the ice. Did you get ice? Yeah. Let's put it in the bus. Drive the bus. The bus is going to wait. Wait a second. I didn't hear you see that snake sound. Bus. That's it. Let's say it two more times. Bus. Bus. Okay. Let's drive the bus. And that's kind of what I do is you just Pick the few words. How can I incorporate this a million trillion times in therapy? Realistically, only like 50 times, but as much as you can get them saying it correctly. And then you're just playing with them. That would be for younger kids. For my older kids, once I get to like first or second grade, anything. Oh, it's so much easier. Me personally, it's so much easier when they could sit at a table and we can play like, you know, Candyland or we can play first to a hundred wins an extra sticker for the day. And they're so easily motivated when they're that young. And that's kind of what my sessions look like a little bit more is more structure when I can, just because it's easy to make sure they're getting those hundred trials, each kid's getting it, and then we can move on. But for the littler ones, when I'm playing with them, I just choose a few words and how can I put it in so many times in our game. Awesome. Are you taking advantage of the certificate tracker? Not only does it store your certificates from all of your evidence-based and practical courses from speechtherapypd.com, but you can also upload certificates earned from other CE providers. It's the easiest way to store and keep track of your CEUs. Just another perk of membership. And so you are able to do some of that like drill and kill with those first and second graders mm-hmm. and matching it with like a fun board game or a fun coloring page or. Mm-hmm. I even, and you know, play-based therapy is not my number one area. So there might be some play-based therapists who are like cringing when I say this, but I will, if I'm playing with them, I'll put like maybe the flashcard under the little doll that they're going to play with. And when they pick the doll, I say, Oh, what's on this card? It says house. Let's say it three times before I give you the doll house, house, house. That was beautiful. Here you go. And I will do that. Anything to get like those quick repetitions really quickly and then let the kid play immediately. Um, awesome. I don't yeah. know. And I think too, like, you know, there's different therapy styles that lend themselves to different 
different goal areas, right? Like play-based is great for language-based goals. Mm-hmm. Maybe not so great for getting a ton of repetitions. Yeah. Yeah. Especially with those, but those little squirrely kids, those kids who haven't been in school yet, they need it. They need the movement. No problem. Let's do it. We can jump around, you know, we can say hop, 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 jump, 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 and get those final P words if you need to. Anything that you can do is going to work. But once they get a little older, I like elementary school personally, once they get there, then it's so easy because they can sit and listen and they are so motivated by stickers and Play-Doh. It's, it's the best. That's awesome. Thank you. Yeah, I I know with the kid that I talked about earlier, I've been doing a lot of hide and seek with cards, but now I know that I need to bring it down to like, maybe I can make photocopies of cards. So it's the same four words that he's looking for. And our room is very small. It's not like it's taking him forever to find the words that we're working in. So that would be another play-based thing I think that might work for those younger kids. And this little guy, he's four. So he's on the squirrely end of things. Yeah, those wiggly kids. And you just have to get more creative with getting them to say the word a few times and then give them that reinforcement as soon as you can. So whatever works. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Do you have maybe a favorite kid that you've worked with where you it just clicked for you? Like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. Or maybe one of those stories that you can share with us. Yeah, my kind of poster child for this is one of those students who only had a phonological disorder. So his language was beautiful, no fluency. It's just phonological disorders, but he was so hard to understand. He would so many words incorrect, a lot of phoneme collapse, even he was he's a great student and he can sit and work. So I'm like, I'm going to try this and I'm going to give it the old college try and do it exactly as it should be done. And I've never seen so much progress as I have with him. And he's a student where mom has reached out and said, for the first time ever, dad understood what he said about how his day at school went. And it's like, oh, this is why we do our job. I love this. And the cool thing about this is that you only work on it for 60 minutes. And then after you redo it the next time, it's done. But what it is, like what I tell parents, it's it's like little seeds. We're planting little speech seeds. So you're planting the seed of that final N, you're planting the seed of the final T, and you'll go back and check on it every once in a while, but that's it. The watering is going to happen. And what the kid does is once they've learned something, it's kind of like when you decide, oh, I'm going to get a this kind of car. And then you start seeing it everywhere. All of a sudden, that's the only car you see on the freeway. You notice it so much more. It's kind of like that. Once the kid hears it, then they start hearing it everywhere. And they're like, "What was that always the word? Was it always moon? Then, you know, environment takes over and they're starting to learn on their own. You've planted the seed. Everything else is going to do all the work. Then you'll go back to it, water it a little bit and then move on. So it's just so much success. And then what you see happening is they're going to generalize the things that you haven't even worked on yet. So for the student I was talking about, we only worked on ST and SP. He's unable to do anything else. But by the next cycle, he's telling me, you know, about swings and the slide, things that we haven't even worked on. But because you're planting those little seeds, they're learning it on their own and you're giving them the tools they need to actually learn it on their own. So it's a really natural way of learning phonology, which is great. That's awesome. And I love that analogy you gave of, you know, the, of the new car and how you start to notice it everywhere, because that makes sense. You know, if you're 
working on those final consonants and, and especially the way that you're working on them are uh, the way that you showed us or, you know, okay, are you listening to that snake sound? Did you hear it? And so you're teaching the kids to listen for it. And so once they're out and about listening for it, you know, of course they will start to say it and they'll start to generalize. And that's so cool that he was generalizing outside of the sounds you were working on. I was supposed to happen. That's why you don't have to work on every single phoneme because they're going to start generalizing it. And a popular question, one that I had is when, (laughs) when am I going to see the frog? I want to know when I need timelines. And the research shows that typically after the second cycle. So if it doesn't happen after the first cycle, don't get discouraged. Know that all your little seeds are planted. Things are happening. You're doing it right. After the second cycle, usually you'll start hearing it kind of transfer all the way over into conversation. So it's crazy because how can you work on five words and then all of a sudden this is going into conversation, but it happens. So it's cool because you don't have to work on, let's say it in words and then phrases and sentences and then conversation. It's a huge jump. And that's why it's so great to work on it with those really young students because you can still get to them and make that much progress in a little bit of time. Yeah, that's really awesome. That's really exciting because it's, I mean, you're cutting out years of speech therapy, I feel like. Yeah, hopefully. (laughs) That's the plan. It would be ideal, you know, if you get that three-year-old who's really unintelligible, start this right away and then exit them soon. That's the ideal thing. And I've seen it happen, which is just so great because I I work in a school with, you know, those big caseloads with the squirrely preschoolers who aren't sitting still with group therapy. And you kind of feel like all these things are stacked against me. Am I making a difference? But in this one, I can say, yes, you are. You It works. I promise it works. That is so awesome. I want to just share this with all preschool SLPs because your older elementary SLPs will thank you. You know, if you, if, if it is kids that are, have multiple phonological processes and they start working on that gliding soon. Mm -hmm. I mean, that was always the kicker for me when I would inherit a fifth grader who was gliding. (laughs) You're like, ah, man. Okay. We got this. We'll figure it out. It's so tough. Yeah. But if you can work on it younger, it's just so good. Plus it's going to help them with reading. Plus it's going to help them with writing and just school in general. If those things are difficult for a kid, they don't like school. It's not fun for them. If you can't read what everyone else is reading, school's not fun. They're checked out. So you can kind of give those successful skills to them when they're so young and then they they have a chance they have a chance to like school they have a chance to succeed and you're a big yeah that's awesome thank you and I also didn't realize that the metaphonological awareness game or activity was a part of it as well which is makes so much sense you know if you're not hearing the sounds you're not saying the sounds you also probably are not super aware of those building blocks of words and so that that makes sense to me. And that's exciting because like you said, that's really going to help them be successful in school. Yeah. I actually didn't realize it was a part of it either (laughs) until recently in my old textbook, it wasn't in there. So I'm like, I'm just going to follow what the textbook says. And then I had a grad student just this last spring and she said, Hey, how come you don't, how come you don't do this? My teacher, you know, my professor said, I said, I don't know. I didn't know. So I started researching more. It's in there now. So it's a quick, easy thing to add. Let's work on rhyming. Let's work on segment team. But I guess if you ever wanted a reason to take on a grad student, there's one right there. They're going to tell you like, Hey, you're kind of doing this wrong. And then you could fix it. 
I love that story. I, I, um, I always appreciate my grad students because they do bring fresh things from the classroom. And both of us are near two great universities that are doing fresh things, you know, in, in their coursework. And so I've appreciated that. Yeah. <laughs> you, I'm sorry. I was teaching you wrong. Yeah. And I love that, you know, the grad students, they follow different people on Instagram or TikTok and they come in with their own creativity and their own ideas of doing things. So just a short little plug about taking on grad students. Someone took us on. We should take them on as well. Yeah, definitely. Awesome. Well, thank you for sharing that story about that little guy. Do you have any other lasting or, you know, things that you want to impart on us when it comes to the cycles approach? Great question. Let me think. I would just say, trust it. Like I said, it, it can seem really discouraging when you write down all the processes, you write down all this, the sounds and say, I get them 30 minutes once a week. So in this school year, I can't even finish a cycle. What is that? You know, and I would just say, still trust it. It does still work. Even if progress is slower, you will see progress. Keep yourself organized because when you're flipping around with, you know, final N and then stopping and back to final T, that's more confusing. Give the child those patterns to really learn from. Another thing that you can do is instead of working on all the sounds that they're stimulable for, just choose maybe two or three. You can choose up to six in a pattern, but if you don't have that luxury of time because Christmas break is here and Thanksgiving break and spring break, always taking it up or this kid's always absent, make it work and break it down and only do three phonemes or two phonemes that they're stimulating for, but it does work. So just give it the time, trust it. At the end of that second cycle, hopefully you're seeing that success that makes you feel motivated and ready to do it with all your phono kids. Thank you. I do have a question about, because as you're talking about phonemes for within the specific phonological process, let's say that a kid has a lot of phonological processes that they're working on. Would you do all of them within the cycle or would you choose maybe half of them? Yeah, choose all of them that okay. they are doing more than 40% of the time. So, you know, if they're doing, they're not doing weak syllable deletion, they've got the two syllables down, but three syllables is still giving them problems. Do the three syllables, do everything that they are struggling with, but make the phoneme shorter. So if they are doing stopping, cluster reduction and, you know, backing, only choose maybe two or three if you are short on time and you need to. Okay, great. Thank you for that. Mm -hmm. I, I had a student years and years and years ago that she was one of my favorite students, preschooler. She could sit and listen, but she only had vowels. Oh, wow. And so they thought at first that she, when she came to me, they thought she was selective mute and I gave her the PLS and auditory. She never hit a ceiling. Wow. I was like, what? And she was in a county class, which for those of you outside of Southern California, like that is a more restrictive environment than just your typical self-contained classroom within a um, public school. And she was in our county class, but she only had vowels. And once I started working with her, I'm just thinking, oh my gosh, how amazing would it have been if I had done the cycles <laughs> approach with her? I, said, um, I don't think I'm here that made me think of it only the ones that they're stimulable for it's so important so if you were working with her and she could get initial consonants great that's fine but she couldn't get final consonants yet 
Okay, we're not working on that yet. Next cycle, we might go and add that in, but only that she's stimulable for. So the, um, the phonological process that she's only stimulable for. Got yeah. it. So you're working on what processes are they stimulable for? And then in that process, what phonemes are they stimulable for? Which is why it's so good for those kids who need a lot of success. So thank you for saying that because that just reminded me that's super important. Don't kill them with cluster reduction if they're not getting clusters yet. Let them be successful in your room. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you. Cause she is one that, you know, as I've seen your content on social media, I like kind of kicked myself for her, you know, and I'm sure we have tons of students across different areas where I just thought, man, we could have really seen some great progress. I had her as a four-year-old, as a kindergartner and as a first grader, and then she moved into a regular gen ed class, which is where she should have been at the beginning. That's amazing. Because she was so smart. And I really think that she, with her, it wasn't, I mean, I guess she was selective mute. She knew she couldn't say the word, so she didn't try. Yeah. You and know? I, this approach would be good because they get so successful with it. Anyone else who has a student like that, another option might be like a core word approach and just work on 25, 50 words that she's going to use all the time. So she feels that success. But yeah, this is something that could work for her too. Awesome. And you kind of mentioned it, but what really brought your passion to speech sound disorders? What was it that created this passion for you? The success, honestly. It's like I said, our field is such a great area and like teaching language and people are so good at it, but I'm teaching and I'm like, am I making a difference? Is this transferring to the classroom? I don't know. But when I saw this and it's something I can do and it's actionable steps, I can do those steps. I can choose three words. I can do auditory bombardment and then actually seeing it take off and actually seeing the success made me so excited. You know, I'm just like our students. I want to feel success in what I'm doing too. So after seeing the success, then it's like, oh, this is so fantastic. I can make a difference here. And then once you start getting that success, making a difference, then you just kind of dive in. So that's honestly, that's what it is. It's very selfish in me, but because I've been successful at it, I like it. I like what I'm good at. There you go. That's awesome. But you know what, though? Like, there's nothing wrong with that. I am terrible at R, so I don't like treating R, which I've kind of alluded to. So, of course, we're going to be good at the things that we're successful at. And I'm really grateful that it is a passion of yours and like how much fun you've brought to it when it comes to your social media and speech sound disorders, because I because I hate R, I actually is just not a fan of working on speech sound disorders. Cause to me, I'm like, Oh, I have another speech sound disorder kid on my caseload. Okay, cool. But then seeing how I can be successful with them through the things that you've shared and the way that you've laid out therapy, it's like, okay, I have a game plan. I have what I can do, you know, and move forward instead of me just kind of, Oh yeah, let's work on this. Oh, let's work on this and see what happens. We're not seeing what happens. We're following something that's tried and true. Yeah, which is, I love that. I love to know what I'm doing is work. You know, if I'm cooking, if I'm baking, I like to know the recipe I'm following is going to have delicious cupcakes. And this gives you the delicious cupcakes that you want. (laughs) Thank you. Delicious speech cupcakes. I love it. I love it. All right. So at this point, we will go ahead and we're going to recap our three to one. I know that I had you share just those things with us that you wanted to make sure that we understood. But for our listeners, can you recap the three things we should know 
the two resources and then the one actionable strategy for tomorrow. Okay. So the three things I'm going to condense them a little bit because I feel like I was so worried. But first, what the cycles approach is and who it's for. It's a detailed therapy plan for students with a moderate to severe phonological disorder. It's going to be perfect for, I don't know if I said, if I just said this preschool to early school age. And it's going to be perfect for those kids with a lot of phonological processes and really good for the student who shuts down easily, the one who needs to feel that success. My second point is what is a cycle? So a cycle is going to be all the phonological process that the child has and is stimulable for no matter what you have to do to get them to be successful. They're stimulable for it. In that, you're going to make a list of them and then you're going to probe them for what phonemes they're stimulable for in each process. If you're doing final consonant deletion, go through all the phonemes, choose two to six. You're going to work on each phoneme for 60 minutes and then you're going to move on to the next one. At the end of the cycle, you're going to do a probe and see practice. You know, if you're choosing three to five words, don't probe for those same three to five words. Choose five different words to see if what you're doing is transferring over. You know, if you practice sun and moon, now see if they can do bun and fun, even though you haven't practiced it in play yet. At the end of that, whatever is in conversation, you don't have to work on anymore. Go back, add new ones if they're stimulable for it, or keep working on the same ones again. And then the third one is what does the session look like? So you're going to start with reviewing the last words that you did last time. You're going to do auditory bombardment amplified if you can. One, two minutes where you're the only one talking. They're listening for the sound. Then you're going to practice three to five words as many times as you can correctly. So if it's the first session and they need a lot of help for final S, don't shoot for 50 words. It's better to get 10 times perfect correct than getting it incorrect and making that motor that muscle planning incorrect, you want it correct. Once you've done that, do a little rhyming activity, a little segmenting activity, phonological awareness activity, then auditory bombardment again, probe for next week, and then send home homework in that perfect world where you get that buy-in with the parent. So those are the three things that you should know if you're gonna get started working on this. The resources, if you go on Teachers Pay Teachers and you look up playing speech, the Cycles Approach Complete Toolkit will get you started. It's like this beautiful mini textbook, so easy to understand with all the cards that you're going to need. It's wonderful. And then on Teachers Pay Teachers, I have a freebie for, it's called the Cycles Approach Planner and Session Visual. And that will get you started with making that list of phonemes and phonological processes that you want to work on. It has kind of ideas for how your session should look, and it has a visual for how your session will look too. And then for tomorrow, what you can do tomorrow is probe your students, see what they need to work on, see what phonemes they're stimulable for, and make that list. Once you have that list, once you know what you need to work on, the rest is easy because all you got to do is follow it. Check it off when you're done, move on to the next. Awesome. Thank you. And I know I just had you recap, but I thought of another really important question. When it comes to goal writing, let's say that they have five phonological processes that they are working on and you've got all of those different phonemes. How do you write your IEP goals? Yes. So in schools, we get to write it for a year out. I know it's different in private practice. I worked in those as well. So whatever you can. And I honestly, mm, this is maybe tricky. I personally do not write a goal for every single process. Okay. Lengthy and it's crazy. I don't know. You can, you can write five goals if they have five processes. I'll choose one or two because I think that it's very confusing for parents. And I think that that's hard, but 
That being said, as many as you want to write, write it for the word level. And you're going to go crazy because after word, you're supposed to do phrases and sentences. Write it for the word level. See if they can do it, you know, 90% of the time without any help from you. So what can they do individually? We're not doing just 70% with minimum cues. See what they can do individually because that's what you're getting at. Or if you know, you know, it's the end of the first cycle, you're going on the next, what can they do in conversation? Because you will be seeing it generalized into conversation after you've practiced the word. Awesome. Thank you. And thank you for that of explaining that you don't necessarily write out a goal for every phonological process because that I'm just thinking of the school schedule and, you know, it's like, okay, well, you've got testing this week. Well, I guess your young kids wouldn't be a part of testing, but you know, you've got this break or that assembly or this break. And so it might take a while to get through all of the phonological processes by the time that, you know, progress reports are due or their IEP is due for that annual, even though it is for a year, I'm just thinking in terms of progress reports, you know, how that might be difficult. Just realistically, like I said, you might not be able to finish an entire cycle because this student is always absent or they're, you know, on Mondays. And for some reason, all holidays are on Mondays and you don't have time to do a makeup. And I don't know if that was bad advice to say, don't write a goal for each one, but I'm just a realistic kind of therapist and I don't want to put extra stress where I don't need it. I will still work on those things. I think it's okay to still work on goals, even if it's not specifically written in their IEP because they need it. But what can I actually present at the IEP in a year? I can present on two to three phonological processes and the parent will still see the success. And I, I don't know, I've never had a problem. Everyone seems happy with (laughs) the success that they see, even if there's not a goal for each one, that might be bad advice. Well, it's real advice, right? It's yeah. real advice because you are still meeting the student's needs and you're doing it in a way. I mean, when we talk about the IEP process, and of course we might be getting on another soapbox at this point, but how much of the IEP actually makes sense to the parent. And so I think that, you know, if you're still meeting a student's goals and you're not necessarily needing to write up your session notes every day to get reimbursement of what it is that you did. It might be a little different for private practice, but I think for an IEP, that would make sense to me. You know, the thing just to make those goals more realistic is don't put specific phonemes that you're working on. So a goal for me would sound something like student will suppress the phonological process of cluster reduction by Marking both clusters at the word level in the initial position, for example, you know, or in all positions, if you're going to work on TS and PS at the end of words, but don't write student, I'm sorry, I shouldn't say don't write, I don't write, (laughs) student will produce ST, SP, SW, and SL at all positions, not all positions of word, but at the initial position of a word, I don't get that detailed because you're not specifically focusing just on phonemes on this. You're working on patterns and they might not be stimulable for ST now, but they will be by the time you're working on it. So that's just something I do. Do not write specific phonemes. Focus on the patterns that they're going to be learning, the processes. Thank you. I'm so glad I asked that question because I think that that is something that I'm guilty of doing is writing the specific you know, phonemes within a phonological, especially when it's consonant cluster reduction, mm-hmm. right? Because I, I want someone to read this and know, like, no, I'm not talking about 
consonant clusters that have L's in them. <laughs> but I think that that is helpful of the first two, the way that you laid it out, it's, it makes sense, right? The f- will mark the first two consonants within the cluster. So thank you for that example. I think that was really beautiful. And it made sense. <laughs> and so that's always what's going through my head is, okay, if, if this kid were to go to another therapist tomorrow, does this goal make sense? Will they be following what I want them to follow? That is so tricky. And that's why do not, this is a definite do not, do not write a goal for this approach, you know, do not say by the end of the first cycle, or you don't want to write a goal for this approach because I'm not. Um, This is just the tool that I'm using to get to my end goal. You're writing a goal for where they're going to be in a year or where they're going to be in six months, however you write your goals. You're not writing a goal for the therapy approach. So that's something that's really important. Don't write a goal for the cycles approach. And you can just only cross your fingers and hope that if it goes to the next SLP, they will, I don't know, they will, they'll get them there. They'll get them there, however they're going to do it. Yeah. Absolutely. Thank you for that. You know, it's trusting the process, trusting our fellow colleagues and, and trusting the kids, kids rise to the occasion, especially when we give them appropriate tools. So Kristen, thank you so much. I really enjoyed geeking out over the cycles approach with you and you are so knowledgeable when it comes to it. Thank you for writing my wrongs. I'm really excited. And this is, I think, the first podcast episode where I've enjoyed all of the episodes, but this is the first one where I'm going to get off and call my colleague and say, okay, we're doing everything wrong. We have to fix it. I mean, I'm so excited to hear that because it is so like, oh, this is what I do. Let's just do this. And that's what I love about this. It's not a gray area kind of thing. It tells you what to do and I can do it if I have instructions. Yes. And it's so, so, so applicable and so easy to carry out, especially with your planner that you're giving to us, you know, free that you have on your teachers pay teachers. I'm really feeling confident that we're going to take this kid to the next level. So thank you. And thank you for spending time with us. I know the listeners are really going to enjoy this one. And if there's anything else that you want to share with us. I don't think so. Okay, great. I'm sure I'm later, but not right now. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much, Kristen. And thank you everyone who joined us here today. We will see you back next week. Thanks for joining us at This Speech Life. Remember to go to speechtherapypd.com to learn more about earning ASHA CEUs. We appreciate your positive reviews and support and would love for you to write a quick review and subscribe.